0: Well, welcome to the Guildhall School events podcast, and thank you to Win James for joining us again, thank you very much. second time around. Um, Win is director of acting at the school and is also directing J.M. Barry's play *Dear Brutus*, which opens on the third of February in the Silk Street Theatre. So, welcome, Win. Thank you. Um, most people have heard of J.M. Barry via *Peter Pan*, um, but few people will know about *Dear Brutus* or perhaps any of J.M. Barry's plays. Um, so, what can we expect from *Dear Brutus*?
1: Well, I think on the surface it's probably an old-fashioned, well-made play that doesn't get an airing very often. Um, In his day, Barry was one of the most popular playwrights in Britain and certainly the richest. I think Peter Pan alone grossed over half a million in two years in those days. Um, From a very humble family in a Scottish weaving town... He quite rapidly became an international bestseller. He wrote a, a lot of novels, some of them based on his small-town home life in Scotland. And he he wrote many plays, many more than um, are really known today. His hugest success was Peter Pan, uh, which was an overnight phenomenon, really. It's regarded as a bit of a fairy tale uh almost a pantomime, it's being done as a pantomime as we speak in Wimbledon. But it actually is one of the, I think, great plays of the 20th century, Peter Pan. And when the National Theatre and the Royal Shakespeare Company, two years before that, rediscovered it or did an entirely new production, they had an older male actor play Peter because in the past, for decades, it had been revived with the woman playing the part of Peter flying... And um, it was really interesting to see the really male, devilish side of Peter. And you suddenly realised it actually is a play for adults as well as for children. There's an element of fantasy in Dear Brutus. It starts with a feeling of an Agatha Christie type environment. With an assortment of guests who come for a country house weekend, not knowing why they've been invited or what it is that they have in common. So they're very intrigued by this. Um, as the play goes on, I suppose you can say we sort of go into Midsummer Night's dreamland via touches of Chekhov and Coward. So it's a it's a real mixture. Right. It's a play about people who have, as we all have done, have made certain choices during their lives about relationships or work or what have you. And each time you come to a fork in the road... Sometimes it's a conscious choice and sometimes it's not. But these are people who crave a second chance. And in the play they are given one. OK. So they see their lives as they might have been. It's not as dure and solemn as I've probably just made it sound, (laughs) hopefully.
0: Why do you think J.M. Barry's plays aren't possibly performed quite so much as they used to be? Is that just a trend...? No, I think it's.
1: I think there are probably many reasons. I think one fact actually is that it's the tragedy of the top of the second rank of British playwrights, especially those that wrote in the first half of the 20th century, who used to write what was called the well made play. And that was meant, that phrase, well made play, was meant as a compliment. And then after John Osborne in 1956, that term became almost a term of abuse. It was a bit like innovative and cutting-edge about a decade ago, kind of made everything traditional, (laughs) not very uh, politically correct. It's very interesting that this year, Terence Rattigan's Centenary sees about a dozen revivals of his plays. And Coward also went into a very unfashionable period in the in the latter part of his life. The same thing happened to J.M. Barry, to go from being so immensely popular, and Dear Brutus was revived four times within uh, 20 or 30 years in the West End. Oh, my gosh. Um, so the plays don't change, but fashions change, and people regard them, I think, in the wrong light, because all those authors, are, they're superb craftsmen and... Uh, I remember Noel Coward said the construction of a play is like the foundation of a house and clever dialogue is just like pretty wallpaper on top of it if you don't have something really well constructed. And it's good storytelling, really, a well-made play, beginning, middle and end. Um, I think also because there is such a mix, apparently, of styles within Barry. Yeah. There is humour, there is an element of fantasy... Some people accuse him of being sentimental. I think that's an unfair criticism. I think you can't watch his plays if you have much twenty-first century cynicism in you. And it is it intrigues me very much how the pattern of his life bleeds through all his plays. Very curious life.
0: Yeah.
1: He um when he was six, his brother was killed in a skating accident on the eve of his 14th birthday. And because their mother was so devastated, J.M. Barry dressed in his dead brother's clothes, and began to impersonate his brother. And from then on, his mother called him by the name of the dead brother. He stopped growing at about five foot and still wasn't shaving at the age of 17. So, in a sense, he was the original boy who wouldn't or couldn't grow up. And there is a theme of lost children recurring through many of his plays.
0: Okay. So what do you think this play has to offer drama students? Um, And is there a particular reason why you chose this play for this year's cohort? Uh,
1: What it offers them is a, a number of huge challenges, all of which have to be accomplished at the same time. So there are lots of ingredients that the play needs. Technical precision, emotional freedom, energy. It's a long list. But to juggle all those balls at the same time is quite a big ask. And I think it's its very good for them to have to achieve that.
0: Yeah.
1: I think the two plays at the beginning of this term, The Blue Room and Dear Brutus... Both, in their different ways, supply opportunities that we didn't give the students last term, which is to perform sustained duologues.
0: Right, yeah.
1: Even though there's a lot of group work in Dear Brutus, there are also lots of individual duologues. So the actors are seen under a microscope, if you like, and have to sustain a long scene.
0: Yeah.
1: I also think in retrospect, having done in the past plays like Inherit the Wind... And, and even last year's Coward, The Night at 8.30. I have a lot of neglected plays in what I call my back catalogue. <laughs> and it's very nice to be trying to discover why perhaps a play has been neglected and if you can bring the acting of now to the writing of then. That's quite a, yeah. quite a task. But having um, started rehearsals, I also find now, and this was not in my conscious thinking at the time, that the personality of this particular group is very right for the particular play.
0: Oh, that's nice. (laughs) Um, And you mentioned The Blue Room, and we also have The House of Atreus coming up in March. Presumably we're expecting quite different things from those two plays. Very different. Uh,
1: The Blue Room is a modern version of a play by Arthur Schnitzler called La Ronde, which is a round of sexual encounters between couples. And... The House of Atria is very different again. It's the world premiere of a new version of a cycle of Greek tragedies, uh, Iphigenia, Agamemnon and Electra, which is being directed by Richard Twyman, who directed Julius Caesar here a couple of years ago, and also worked with Michael Boyd on the histories at the RSC and directed one of them himself. So it'll be a great adventure for the whole year.
0: Yeah, that's when the whole company comes together. That's right. Um, And apart from public performances, uh, third-year actors also take part in two showcase performances in the next couple of months. Um, Can you tell us, for maybe people who don't know, what the purpose of a showcase is, a bit about them?
1: Well, I suppose the main purpose of a showcase is to do what it says on the tin and showcase the actors. Um, We do a modern showcase and we also do a classical evening. The Modern Showcase is an extremely stressful experience for young actors because it's so unnatural and it's so unlike doing a play. They do uh, a monologue on their own and one duologue. They've been used to doing a play in a group, rehearsing it, putting it on to a normal audience. This time it's a one-off only in front of about 200 invited casting directors, agents... It'll be in the West End Theatre and they'll be doing it to theatre and television professionals. It's like a calling card for the future. So it's many a agents, pressure. yes, many agents come and follow the students' progress through third year productions. Some people just like to come along and get a snapshot of someone trying to do, and it's impossible to do this, to do everything they can do in two minutes.
0: Yeah, which is a lot of pressure yeah. and a lot of expectations. And we also
1: do a classical evening because we're a classical training. And the modern showcase is a more commercial event. We want to show that there's a whole other aspect to our works, so if they normally do a Shakespeare scene or soliloquy.
0: Okay. And are there any other things they'll be working on in these kind of last few months of the year, getting ready for the profession? Are there kind of other things that you introduce into the? We do a lot of year?
1: workshops about preparation for the profession, um, audition practice, and so on. That's been ongoing. Um, but their timetable is absolutely chock-a-block, as you understand. And then next term they will be doing Richard III by Shakespeare and musical Kiss Me Kate, so it's a very full schedule.
0: It is, isn't it? Well, thank you very much for joining us, Wyn. Oh, and pleasure. we're looking forward to Dear Brutus, which opens on the 3rd of February in the Silk Street Theatre. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much.